Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to the Olympics, another WNBL season, and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, as well as the Opals being ranked number two in the world, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more Hoops goodness headed your way. Just a great lineup of legends in the game that have just put their hands up and come on board from Carrie Graff and Michelle Timms and Jenny Screen and Liz Mills and we've got the Office of Sport, Perry Turner, hosting this amazing panel just before the Opals take the court. Joining us today on Shooting the Breeze, we're talking with Martha Lowry Bird and Jackie Dover about an exciting initiative for women's basketball. Both women are at the forefront of the FIBA Women's World Cup Legacy Program with Basketball New South Wales. And they're giving us a look into the work being done to ready this game-changing initiative for girls and women in basketball. Each of them has a unique and valuable perspective. Martha is a sports scientist and girls in sport advocate who shares her insights on the barriers for girls in sport and basketball. While Jackie, Australia's first Indigenous female referee in the NBL is an amazing role model. Her journey is a testament to the possibilities for girls and women to remain involved in the game. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Today we've got two very special guests. Joining us is Martha Lowry Bird and Jackie Dover from Basketball New South Wales. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Now, I've really been looking forward to this one. You've both been uh, involved with Basketball New South Wales and the I'm a Girl program. But before we get into that, I'd like to just be able to get a bit of a background on each of you for our listeners so that uh, they get to understand the perspective you're bringing to the program. So if I can start with you, Jackie, other than the fact that you are the first Indigenous female NBL referee. Maybe a bit of background on how you got involved in basketball and and how you've gotten into refereeing and this program. Uh, So for me, I guess basketball was uh, probably a given coming from a family uh, that was heavily involved from uh, quite a young age. My sisters all played, mum and dad played as well, and then they also uh, were heavily involved in Gold Coast basketball. So the uh, four walls of a basketball stadium are very familiar for myself uh, and my siblings. Uh, so growing up on the coast, um, just playing basketball with your friends and, and playing rep and whatnot, I decided to move out of home at 15 to go to Townsville and try and make it as a player. And that's probably where the officiating comes in is I wasn't overly good at being on the court as a player. I was a really good bench warmer um, and a couple of injuries and whatnot led me to uh, picking up the whistle five, six years ago. And I haven't really looked back, but my officiating journey has probably been my most favourite part of basketball at the moment. Uh, and it keeps me on the court too. So just a bit of a basketball fanatic. So now I kind of get one of the best seats on the house when it is those uh, intense games and everything that comes with officiating. So that's a bit about me. In terms of the role with BNSW, got the opportunity to join the team um, from a Indigenous and multicultural space. Being a proud Indigenous woman myself, um, it's definitely an opportunity that was too good to pass up and to be able to work with the Women's World Cup coming up in Sydney is awesome for us in Australia, but then to also roll out these legacy programs was something I definitely wanted to be involved in. Great. Just before we get to you, Martha, one quick question. Out of all the NBL games you've officiated, which are the ones where you've kind of sat back and gone, 
wow, this is something that happened on court that I really wasn't expecting. Uh, well, in my whole two-game experience so far, there's been a, a little bit. There was um, some good plays in those two games. Um, the WNBL I've, I've had a bit more experience on, but I'm sure there'll be many of those opportunities. I guess uh, my first game was Brisbane Cairns, and Cairns are in my second game, but uh, refereeing someone with the size of Nate Jaiwai is also always a bit of a something a bit different. There's a photo that came out of the second game where I look quite miniature compared to standing next to him, but um, that's probably one of those moments where it's like, well, I am very small out here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Martha, I'm sure some people who will be listening have come across you from your wide experience in sport, but there will be some who probably won't know of your background. So can you let us know a little bit about where you've come from? Certainly, Paul. Um, I'm, I'm a sports and exercise scientist, and I've always seemed to have worked in the space of women's health and girls and women's sport. That's sort of been my passion all through um, my degree and my work experience and my career. And um, I'm also an ex-athlete, but basketball is quite new to me. Whilst myself and my husband have done, and his family and my family have done a variety of sports, it was really becoming a parent of two high-performance basketball players that gave me a different perspective. So basketball's sort of taken over my life, as it does many people, and um I find myself working and parenting in this space now. What was particularly of interest is watching the different journeys of my teenage son and my teenage daughter and looking at it from the perspective of um, the gender difference, which is really what accelerated my interest in the particular area of basketball. I was also in, involved in the Women and Girls in Basketball Deliberative Forum that um, we had to really work on this space and did a presentation during the FIBA World Cup bid and then was um, asked by Basketball New South Wales to help deliver their legacy programs, which, of course, was just an amazing opportunity for me to bring together all my work sort of within that space across sport and help deliver it with a, a basketball-specific lens. Great. It's kind of interesting because you're both working on this towards the same outcome, but coming at it from very different perspectives. You know, like Jackie, you've come from the traditional pathway, for want of a better term, into basketball. Um, you've transitioned into refereeing. And I think that's actually a good thing because you're a role model for a lot of people who kind of look at refereeing and go, oh, I can't, you know, I don't really see myself there, but you've done it. You've made it to referee at the WNBL and the NBL. So therefore, I think, you know, there's great role modelling there. And then also, Martha, you've come from a sports and academic background as well into these programs. So you're bringing a very different lens into it. And one of the things I'd like to, I want to touch on later on is about ongoing engagement for girls through programs like this to keep them in sport because of the, the significant drop-off that happens you know, in that 14 to 16 age bracket. But before we get into that, let's talk about the outcomes that you're both looking to achieve through the legacy programs and I'm a Girl. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, if I talk to the, the leadership scholarship program that we have going, I think, well, through all the programs, correct me if I'm wrong, Jackie, what we're really trying to do is increase the visibility of girls and women in basketball, increase the opportunities for girls and women in basketball and the improve the participation rate. 
giving that exposure to girls to experience it and to stay in it. And someone like Jackie being visible is obviously fantastic because that's what we want to do. But the truth of the matter is that there are far less girls doing basketball than there are boys. So we want to use this opportunity to help increase that and um, create some gender equity there. Okay. And Jackie, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think everything Martha said is is definitely what we're trying to achieve. I know going through uh, a playing pathway when you hit under 16s and 18s, you go from having two to three rep teams for your association to barely being able to fill one in an under 18s. We just have such a high percentage drop-off rate when you hit that 14 to 16, 17 um, year for females. So it's around providing whether it's playing that they want to be doing or coaching or refereeing, but there's so much potential in basketball, not even from a a playing or participation uh, area. It's around the administration roles and your event management and and that type of thing that you can be doing too. So I think it's just the all-round participation rates on the court, off the court, but just having that exposure and that availability for girls to be involved in every aspect of the game. And I think, sorry, just to jump in there too, as you know, Paul, and you alluded to, it's not just specific to basketball. Well, there's, there's a whole problem across all sport in terms of the underrepresentation of girls and women at all levels across all sports within Australia. So to have the opportunity to try and do something positive about that in basketball in the lead up to the World Cup is just fantastic. So let me ask the question that really pops into my mind when I hear that. It's what's happening at the association level as a starting point that's not encouraging girls to continue to engage with the sport? Because obviously the associations where people are really engaging with the sport at that grassroots, something's got to be falling in a hole there in terms of wanting to continue or finding ways to continue the engagement. And this is not meant to be having a go at the associations, but there's got to be a gap there somewhere. I think, and Jackie will probably add to this from her perspective, but certainly from my perspective, and this is not just um, applicable to basketball or associations, but I look at it from um, a higher lens where I think there needs to be a real partnership across so many different levels. So, yes, the association, yes, the players, the parents, role models, even the facilities to help support girls to continue, having a female buddy, having a support person to go to. I mean, it really is about identifying that there is a drop-off issue and collaboratively working together and communicating so that some of those reasons why girls drop out can actually be prevented and addressed and the girls supported so those sorts of things don't happen. And Jackie, what, you know, you've come through the, the, the pathways through the associations Is there anything that you think that's really an obvious thing that could be addressed to try and help girls stay in the game? Uh, I'm not sure if it's obvious. I think there's a few kind of underlying issues that lead to the drop-off rate um, and kind of categorising them is pretty difficult because everyone's got different circumstances. But I think that age group, like from knowing my peers at that time, it's a matter of uh, work or school load or anything like that and having too much commitment on. So I think it's around that support system that we can provide. Um, And like Martha said, having those role models or that connection that you have, like we turn on the TV over the next few weeks and we're going to see the Opals out there doing their thing and then we get to see them in action here in Sydney at the World Cup. Like that's 
pretty motivating for anybody, to be honest, but having that on a continuous basis so we can support those young females as they're transitioning into adult life and, and making decisions that um, are, are difficult at that age as well. What are you going to do after school and whatnot? So just providing further opportunities and more uh, engagement through mentoring and that um, that resilience building and support. And if I could just jump in there too and, and sort of understanding at a, a grassroots level that coaching girls may require different things to coaching boys and they can be, you know, really simple little things like, you know, the research does show us that girls are so much more social with their sport. There needs to be time for them to talk and catch up with their mates. Playing music and that fun element is just, you know, really important for a teenage girl over the competitive element. I mean, the saying is that um, male players need to perform to be accepted, but female players need to be accepted to perform. And that connection with their girl gang and that chatting and music and socialising is such an important aspect. It's a really different way of coaching girls at that age to boys. So understanding that at a grassroots or association level, I think will really help retain these girls in sport and addressing it that it might actually be a social outlet. Jackie mentioned, you know, the competing constraints of a teenage girl and social is a huge one. But if we could combine socialising with exercising, uh, where basketball was that great outlet, then I think that's a that could be a key opportunity. But there are other sort of um, challenges for girls around body image at this age as well. So addressing what are we actually giving them to wear? Are we making them wear clinging uniforms? Are we making them wear white uniforms? Like asking them, what do you want to wear, girls? Or what do you need to stay in the sport? And having that real open dialogue with someone trusted can really help overcome those barriers. That's an interesting point. So, Jackie, do you think from what you've seen and from the friends you've had coming through the various ranks in basketball, do you think that having a a more significant social aspect would have helped keep some of those people who left the game to keep them to stay in the game? Yeah, I believe so. And I think it's, it's not a one size fits all. I know I probably don't fall into that category. I'm probably a bit too competitive and I, I really wanted to make that elite level. So I'm probably not one to talk direct to it. Um, but knowing some of my peers, you do like I moved out of home at a young age and I made the choice to not do any of the socialising because basketball was my goal. So that's probably a different story. But I do know that some of my peers uh, didn't do under 18s or didn't, uh, once we finished under 18s, weren't playing in the under 21s comp leading into your state league. So unless you're in that state league program, we had a pretty high drop off rate. Um, and that was more because. Uh, you've transitioned into being a young adult, you've got work, you've got that social aspect and to to them that was more appealing. And like I said, I I don't have the greatest understanding of that because that's not how my mind was functioning at that time. I was pretty much, let's get up, let's go to basketball training in the morning before school. Yeah, I'll go train with the fellas on their school training days too because I just want more basketball. So just from an outside perspective of my peers, that's yeah, it's a, it's a hard one because you can definitely add in a more social aspect to the basketball. But like Martha said, it needs to be coached different and you need to identify and have that understanding of who your players are and who you're dealing with to know that if it's me, I'm, I'm happy for you to be direct and um, pull me up on if I need to be working harder and whatnot. But that might not work with um, player B and C. They might need a different approach to that. And certainly from a parent point of view and watching 
my son and daughter go through the program and just looking at the numbers of boys that are still doing it as opposed to girls is quite concerning and we know from research that from the age of 14 girls tend to drop out of sport twice as fast as boys so again not specific to basketball across all sports but being a parent on the sideline I've certainly seen that happen. It's interesting I mean look I've got two girls they're both involved in sports uh one of them is playing basketball so this is this is really interesting to me because i'm hearing what you're saying and i'm kind of thinking yeah when i think about the way the girls are coached in comparison to the boys there probably should be a different a different approach but it doesn't seem to be the case so as part of these legacy programs is there anything looking at the coaching aspect in terms of you know identifying these are different strategies to use to coach girls to boys? I think there's a lot more being done in that space now. There's a lot to still do. And I know our Daughters and Dads program really is a great example of getting um, fathers who are key role models when it comes to girls' participation, as you would know, having two, mm. two daughters, actually in educating fathers about this accidental gender bias that we have about how little girls are supposed to be as opposed to how little boys are supposed to be and, and their relationship to sport. So that is an excellent example of a legacy program that's done with the University of Newcastle in conjunction with the Office of Sport and Basketball New South Wales in terms of trying to bridge that gap and, um, you know, opening up those possibilities for fathers to work with their daughters and be involved in basketball. Touching on that, I want to talk to you, Jackie, about the program and Indigenous Basketball Australia. How is the uh, the Dads and Daughters program going to operate in the wider community and in the Indigenous community? Because obviously, to my way of thinking, having those sorts of programs um, spread as far as possible is going to help to keep that engagement level um, up. And, you know, obviously, one of the key considerations in the Indigenous community is some of the constraints that are constantly being seen there, like distances that have to be travelled, availability of facilities, availability of equipment. Um, how's that all going to fit together? And, and is there anything that could be done to improve the, the, the approaches to dealing with those shortfalls from your perspective? Um, I think, like you said, if we can provide programs similar to the dads and daughters or the dads and daughters across uh, more regional areas and, and far and wide, it's definitely going to be a, a massive benefit, not just because of basketball, but between that relationship between uh, dads and daughters and getting the girls involved from a younger age and having your dad uh, teach you skill sets like going out and shooting a basketball, passing, kicking a 40 and that type of thing is always beneficial. What we're doing in terms of the legacy program is uh, adapting the dads and daughters program to be culturally specific to the communities we work with. So um, that's probably a future thing starting off in 2022 around our working with Savannah Pride as our pilot program for that. So at the moment, just working with them around, okay, how do we alter the program to be really suitable to your community um, mm -hmm. and to have that buy-in and involvement from all parties um, and it doesn't matter what culture you're coming from, not everybody fits the dad and, and daughter mould, so we need to make sure it's appropriate to be welcoming for everybody as well. 
Um, yep. So that's part of the stuff we're putting in place so then we can work within different communities all around New South Wales and deliver that on an ongoing basis so it does uh, increase active lifestyles, uh, that um, strong relationship you can have from your role model figure within your household uh, and then go from there. Okay. We spoke with Annie Lafleur not that long ago and one of the things that she stressed a couple of times through the, the conversation was that this is not just about making good basketballers, it's about making good people. From what I can understand, that is one of the key underpinnings of the of the legacy program. Is that am I correct or have I totally missed the boat on that? Yeah, I think it's obviously our goal is to get more people picking up a ball and involved, but I think teaching other lessons at the same time. So for example, at our IBA camps where we can we get local um, organizations and uh, community members involved to come and talk about healthy eating and decision making and we have we invite the elders to come out for uh, welcome to country and to meet these young kids that are picking up the basketball and being involved so we can start to build that community base and that culture connection for everybody as well um, so yeah I think the people we get to run the programs are, are definitely good people and Annie Ullafleur is obviously a, an amazing person and even better basketballer so um to have her involved is is amazing for us from a BNSW point of view and from IBA. So it's kind of doing that whole approach of it. So upskilling everyone in every area of basketball that we can when we do go out to community from referees, coaches, score table and players as well. Okay. There's a lot going on under the, the legacy program. So maybe for – it's a bit of laughter going on there. I'm guessing there's, there's an awful lot going on. Um just for people who aren't really fully across what Basketball New South Wales is working on, what are the different programs that are under the legacy banner? Do you want me to talk to a couple, Jackie, and then you talk to a couple? Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the idea for it all is to, um, we're doing some programs across Basketball New South Wales in the lead up to the Women's World Cup that we hope will be successful and we can roll them out nationwide. Um, so it is something that we're really hoping has this legacy, this ongoing effect post-World Cup. And that's part of it. So if I talk to the I Am A Girl, the leadership scholarship program that we're just about to launch, we put out an expression of interest for that and received hundreds and hundreds of females responding to that. It was just incredible. And what we've taken is 240 females in New South Wales that are across players, coaches, referees, score bench statistician, managers, committee members, a real cross-section of females within New South Wales. And we're running a 12-month holistic program that covers a lot of different areas, not just the basketball side of things, but also about leadership, career pathways, education, wellness, media management. And then at the end of that, the end of the 12 months, these women work together or individually back at their associations or at the grassroots level where they decide they can make an impact to get the next lot of females involved in, in basketball and then the legacy continues. 
So it's really important that it's just not this one-off event around the World Cup, but we're looking at years of legacy and involvement going after it. So that's one particular program that um, we're doing. And then the other one, which we mentioned briefly um, that I can talk to, is the Dads and Daughters program. So we're piloting that at the moment with the University of Newcastle. It is a very well-established, well-recognised program. And what it is is we're piloting a bus specific version of that with Professor Philip Morgan from the University of Newcastle and that basketball specific one then we will run out from term four um, across New South Wales and then as as I said before hoping it will become a a legacy as well. So the the couple of extra ones that we're doing on top of this it's a pretty amazing opportunity for us to be able to deliver so many programs across the legacy. So another one in line with the I Am A Girl is the the Come and Try Day. So they're more targeted at grassroots participants or people who may not have even picked up a ball before. So delivering uh, basketball clinics to to expose them to the game, essentially, in a nice, fun environment. Um, so you come and give it a go. Bring a friend with you is always awesome. Um, and then that way we can then have the interest come from them. If they do want to continue on playing basketball, we can then direct them and link them to the association. So um, we generally uh, partner up with the associations, run it at their stadium, so then um, the new participants uh, and girls can come and uh, see what it's like to walk into a basketball stadium. It's pretty cool. I'm obviously talking from a, a lover of the game, but it's always great when you get to walk in a stadium and have that feeling of home. So just creating that safe environment for them to come and try the game. And then that option is there if they want to continue to play basketball after that. A couple of the other ones that we have uh, is more around the Indigenous and multicultural space. So the Dads and Daughters program will be piloted with Savannah Pride at the start of next year. So then we can, uh, like I mentioned before, make it culturally appropriate for anybody that we go to deliver it to. So um, I think it's an amazing program and it's going to have a lot of potential to have that continuous ongoing success post the World Cup. Um, And then the other one is uh, our partnership with IBA and delivering camps and three-on-three and courses to upskill members of community. So then um, post-World Cup and the legacy programs that we can have basketball running in communities all around uh, metro and regional New South Wales uh, and have members that can come and do score table or get more referees involved and people involved coaching the game, not just the participants that we hope to have at all the camps and three-on-three events. So. Yeah, it's uh, exciting times. The other thing to mention too that I just want to say is just the amazing role models that we've got in basketball, female role models that are just being so supportive and um, have just jumped on board with this. It's just it's just been incredible, the response that we've received. Everyone is so keen. And for our kickoff event next week, um, you know, we've got just a great lineup of legends in the game that have just put their hands up and come on board from Carrie Graff and Michelle Timms and Jenny Screen and Liz Mills and we've got the Office of Sport Kerry Turner hosting this amazing panel just before the Opals take the court. So we're doing this panel and and we're sort of trying to share with the 240 female participants the sort of information that they can share about what would the coaches be saying and how would the Opals be feeling and and to really set the scene for these females in sport that are just so keen to continue a career pathway in basketball. That sounds like like it's an amazing amazing roster of people you've got for this launch event. That's just the beginning too, Paul. (laughs) I can see that there's a lot of the community is starting to pull together on this. There's a couple of things that have come up just in the comments that have come through that I I want to touch on. 
three by three. Now, for me, three by three seems to be an interesting pathway for kids to get the skills to play the game, but also, particularly for more remote regions, if there's a court, you can fundamentally have two games going at once. Jackie, do you see this as a as a good way of getting engagement for people in more remote communities and the Indigenous community into the game? Yeah, I think definitely the uh, the ability that it's run in a half-court setting makes it uh, easier to run and facilitate as well so then you don't need a full basketball stadium to be out and go and do it. So if you've got a half-court down at the park, you can um, bring some music, get your friends there, grab a couple of referees and get a, a game going. Essentially, it's um, a pretty good format. And I think for anybody learning the game, it's definitely... Um, a less intense way to get on the court instead of running offences in a five-on-five setting, learning how to cut, uh, run up the court, all your weaves and whatnot. So for a fun environment to get people involved, I think it's a really exciting way. I think especially now that it's an Olympic sport too, that's going to be driving a bit more excitement around it too. People are going to see it at this international stage and how exciting it is that hopefully that gains some more interest around it so then we can go out in communities and, and offer that as a a nice, uh, friendly, easy way to get into the game. Okay. Now, the other one, and I'm going to throw this up, and I know some people might think of it as being a little bit controversial, and I'll be honest and say it's my personal bias on this one. I like women's sports. I like watching women's sports, and I know there's a lot of guys who just don't feel that way. I think, has there ever been, and, and Martha, this is, probably more towards your area of specialty, but has there ever been any research done on the impact that having men support, you know, bluntly supporting and openly supporting women's sports has on other men in terms of how they view women's sports? Um, I think that we're seeing more high-profile sportsmen really... um supporting female sport which is just fantastic and we're seeing that globally and I do think that there is a realization that for so long female sports was such an untapped market and just from a commercial point of view that just seems like madness really you know when you're thinking well what there's all these females that you're not actually marketing to it's just Mm. this huge opportunity there and I think we are seeing the, the growth of it there's a lot of work to be done Paul definitely um, and that's why it's really important that we do showcase more women and girls in basketball. And we cannot underestimate, yes, the effect of men championing these women um, across all sports. But I do think there is a lot of good work being done. Okay. And Jackie, what do you think it's something that we need to, to promote more to try and get that engagement happening in a more structured way? Or is the natural growth of men supporting women's sports okay for want of a better word Uh, i think it's tracking along okay i think we could definitely be doing more in that space to promote both sports like if you look at the afl for example with the aflw that just skyrocketed out of nowhere same with the netball that's just the exposure and the attention they're getting is amazing so it's definitely a space that we can be doing uh, a lot more in the basketball as well um, I know the women's three-on-three team were pretty set on the Olympics and that would have been amazing. It's quite unfortunate for them that they didn't quite qualify. Um, yeah. But that team is pretty exciting to watch as well. They're pretty up-tempo and getting into it and there's, there was a lot of attention around that. I know my personal opinion is 
women's basketball is a lot more structured. I appreciate the game from that perspective and I like watching the game to see them execute sets and whatnot. And the men's is always going to be exciting. They can get above the rim and um, have a higher percentage of players that can dunk it and whatnot. But we're getting there with some of our athletes as well. Like you see um, the likes of Z playing for Townsville Fire. Like she can, when I was up there refereeing, seeing her dunking it at training was pretty exciting. So Mm. I'm looking forward to when she does that in a game. Yeah, I think it's, it's making progress and there's definitely a lot more progress that we can be aiming towards. And, and that's not just at the players' level as well. I think that the males in the sport can really support women across all roles, whether they're female referees or whether they're female managers, coaches, players, across all areas of basketball. I think if they've got that lens on that we need to be getting these women more visible, um, I think that's going to help our sport so much. You can be what you can see and we're just not seeing enough of these women in all these different roles. And I think that's where the men in basketball can make a huge positive difference by making sure that we're seeing females in every role across basketball and supporting them in their roles no matter what they may be and making them really visible I think is just the way that we need to go. I do feel very hopeful about um, the future and the next generation of male and female basketballers coming through. I think that younger generation of of male basketballers do have that lens on they're aware of the females that are there and I think it's more natural in their nature that there is that gender equality so Mm. I feel very hopeful for the direction that we're going but we certainly need everyone on board male and female to increase the visibility of women and girls in basketball. In terms of the the World Cup coming up how do you think that's going to help boost the profile of the women's game to the wider community? I think having the World Cup in Sydney um, in general is just going to allow for that. No one, no one's got the choice of going to men's or women's World Cup. They come into the women's and, and that's what it is. So I think that's going to be exciting in itself. Um, hopefully there's no uh, COVID interference with anything, but I think that would allow for bigger crowds and to be able to have the spectators and the fans that the players and coaches deserve too. And then, I know I always kind of come in from a referee perspective now too, but um, for me, when the Com Games was in Townsville, I got to be involved on a volunteer base there and sit on the baseline and watch the best referees running around the court too. So I think it's exciting for everybody's score bench as well. So I think the World Cup hosted here in Australia and then here in Sydney um, is a really exciting opportunity for people to just get to the games um, and have access to basketball to go out there and watch. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, it's such an exciting time for women's sport in Australia and Sydney because we've got, you know, the Women's Basketball World Cup, we've got the Women's Football World Cup and we've got the Women's Netball World Cup all coming to kick off with the Basketball Women's World Cup. It's just an incredible opportunity to shine the light on these incredible women. I've got one question that came up for me while you were talking about, Jackie, while you were talking about, you know, the AFLW. One of the things that I've noticed is that women's sports, unfortunately, get kind of jammed into, particularly with television uh, on broadcast generally, into areas where the major men's sports aren't. And there seems to be a lot of overlap. So, you know, WNBL, AFLW are going to be running relatively parallel in the upcoming season. There's also cricket on top of that. Do you think that the sports 
kind of competing in the same the same space will help to strengthen the visibility of women's sports or do you think it might actually fracture the audiences? Uh, I think it depends on the more precise scheduling, to be completely honest. If you've got mm. two games on at the same time, that obviously splits your viewers um, to pick one. Uh, I know that if you're in the back end of WNBL season where the AFLW is underway, you turn on one channel, you might have a game, you turn on another one the next uh, hour and you've got another game. That's a pretty exciting position to be in. So I think there's there's benefits and, and downsides to both of that, to be honest. I think the the scheduling is probably something that's always going to happen. Sport is year-round mm. no matter what the code is. Um, so it's how your airtime is kind of divvied up and spread across. So there's opportunities for every sport to get that time on the TV. Uh, the WNBL's done really well the past couple of seasons to get yeah. more games back on TV. I know when we dropped away from that, it was a pretty devastating time. Um, so hopefully it just means we've got more than one game a week this season upcoming um, and then that's kind of spread across. So out of a bubble format hopefully helps with that. So more weekday games and whatnot. So anytime you turn on the, the TV, it doesn't matter what sporting code. Ideally, I'd pick basketball, but you turn on any sporting <laughs> code and you've got some form of women's sport on would be a really ideal setting. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one you touch on, Jackie, because I think this scheduling is something that um, needs a bit of visibility and thought from even a grassroots level or a younger level. Like even if we look at, say, you know, the scheduling of games at a state level or a national level, even in junior sport, and we look at, okay, when's the girls' gold medal match? When's the boys' gold medal match? So I think we need to put an um, equality with our scheduling on. That needs to be a focus from the very beginning. It's sort of something that I, as again, being a parent of a female and a male that can make it the same level. And I think, well, why is my daughter's game on at the same time as the boys' game? But then the boys' gold medal match might be on by itself. So this whole scheduling thing is an interesting one across all sports. And then I guess it would be great to get to a stage where we were just talking about sport and not women's sport. You know, it was just sport on television that we were watching, you know, and not, not necessarily women's sport, but, you know, it'll come. Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, we're getting more and more visibility and everybody seems to be arguing over the same sort of chunk of airtime. And if the scheduling's done right, I think there's a potential for exposure for all the sports but that means we've got to get a whole bunch of people in a room talking together (laughs) it it goes back to that first point it is it's about collaboration and communication and getting everyone on the same page right from the beginning you know right from the association level through to the broadcast level you know (laughs) we can dream yeah (laughs) so look in the time that we've got left, I'd really like to get into some real specific details on the programs for the legacy. And specifically, what sort of goals is Basketball in New South Wales and yourselves hoping to achieve in what sort of time frame? Uh, so I guess the, the aim of the legacy programs across all the different programs we have within that uh, is to increase and speed up the increase of how we get uh, girls involved in the game and from your different cultures too. So it would be amazing if we could double the amount of participation rate in the next two, three years, but we've got this availability to do the legacy uh, programs across the three years. And I know our team on the ground um, delivering the I Am A Girl Come and Try Days and the program that we've got with the scholarships and then our IBA camps is we just 
want to be able to go out. It would be amazing if we could go out every day and deliver a camp. So we've just got to make it sustainable across the three years so then it is ongoing after that. But we're providing equal opportunities to everybody around New South Wales. Yeah, and depending on the particular program, it might be like, for example, the Daughter and Dads one is a, is a nine-week program, but the scholarship program is a 12-month program. And then, as Jackie mentioned, summer school holiday touch points. So I think we're trying to come up with just menu of options that no matter what situation you're in, you can experience part of what is on offer. Okay. And I'm curious also in terms of WNBL players and ex-WNBL players for these programs, what's the feedback been from any of them that you've spoken to in relation to the legacy program itself? Every single person that I have spoken to is just so enthusiastic about anything that we're, and I'm sure Jack is the same, like anything that we're offering. I mean, male and female have just been incredibly supportive no matter what we've mentioned or what we've asked or an idea we've come up with. And, you know, we've just been overwhelmed with support and interest in trying to increase the level of involvement of girls and women in basketball. Just as we're winding up, I would like to ask you both if we could get you back in a few months to talk about how the programs have progressed and what lessons learned are and how people are reacting to all the programs because I think it's a really great initiative and I think there's a lot of people who are going to be interested in wanting to follow that journey. And i really like to thank you both for the time you've given us today to talk about this. I've really enjoyed it. It's great to see programs like this being launched, being undertaken and having the support of Basketball New South Wales as we do the run-up to the World Cup. Thank you so much for your interest. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great to jump on and and talk basketball and and women's sport in in general, which is great, but definitely excited to jump back on in a few months with you, Paul, and keep everyone up to date with how it's all going. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.